Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Got Guts, a podcast of the American Journal of Physiology, Gastrointestinal, and Liver Physiology. Joining us today are Editor-in-Chief Professor Mark Fry and authors Dr. Stephen Keeley and Professor Kim Barrett of the recently published review titled Intestinal Secretory Mechanisms and Diarrhea. So let's talk guts. Over to you, Professor Fry. Uh, good morning, everyone, or good evening to you, Stephen, and thanks, Jamie. Hi, um, Mark. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Kim. So uh, I hope you're doing well today, and thank you for joining us on Got Guts. I'm excited to talk to you and looking forward to all of the inevitable secretory diarrhea jokes that we're probably going to hear throughout all of this, because that seems to be how it goes with this crowd. So why don't we go ahead and start off and uh, talk a little bit about the topic. You know, you've written a really outstanding, I think, benchmark or landmark review for us at AJP on uh, how the mechanism of secretory diarrhea and the transport in the gut is controlled. For for the listener who's maybe, you know, a stem cell person or an IBD person or somebody who's not thinking about this all the time, can you give us the elevator pitch for why this is important? So I think fundamentally, you know, we, we tried to write this review really encompassing both cellular mechanisms and translational aspects. So for anybody who's interested in gastrointestinal physiology, I think it's also very important to understand what the clinical implications of what we do uh, are. And what's particularly exciting for me, having worked on this topic for my entire career, is how, first of all, we still are learning things. And second, how clearly relevant this is in ways that perhaps we didn't anticipate. And for example, one of the things that's really emerged uh, in recent years is that we might be able to sort of therapeutically induce diarrheal symptoms to treat another common gastrointestinal malady of constipation. And I don't think anybody would have predicted that we could uh, take advantage of what is usually an adverse event to treat another condition. But we've learned so much about the molecular machinery um, of uh, secretory mechanisms, the factors that regulate the process. And for those who are more sort of cellularly and molecularly inclined, I think there's a lot to be learned. And of course, it's it's all part and parcel of the basic program of differentiation of epithelial cells in the gut and understanding how cells acquire and then presumably lose these secretory capacities, I think is still an active topic of investigation. And I'm sure Stephen would have something to add. I think you covered it pretty well there, Kim. But I think... I think something that when, when when one is talking about diarrhea, one should always kind of bear in mind that it's not always a bad thing. You know, diarrhea is a is actually a, a healthy protective mechanism um, that helps us to expel, you know, noxious particles and pathogens from the gut. So normally when we have a, a bout of diarrhea, it's really a good thing. And it's a sign that our bodies are working nicely and healthily and protecting us from these things and that um, we shouldn't be too concerned. But as Kim says, like there's been a lot of work done over the past decades, you know, building on work from decades before that, where we've learned an awful lot more about the molecular pathways that control fluid movement in the gut. And we've tried to cover that in this review, um, along with, as Kim says, some ideas of how we might be able to target these pathways for therapeutic purposes in the future. 
Yeah, I think it's important to note that diarrheal diseases do remain a major killer. So even though they can be protective, if you are vulnerable, such as the very young, the very elderly, uh, it is still a major cause of mortality, particularly in developing countries. So it remains clinically relevant for all of us. Does, yeah. And the numbers around diarrhea are really staggering, you know, I think. And um, we did we did a review in our hospital just to see what the what the you know incidence of diarrheal diseases is in here in Ireland. And we went and we reviewed the records in the gastroenterology clinic and we found that about one percent of the population will turn up at a gastroenterology clinic every year with diarrhea as their primary symptom. And that holds true really for all Western countries, you know. And out of those people, about 40% will get hospitalized and they'll stay in hospital for about a week. So it's a, it repre represents a huge burden, really, in terms of uh, the quality of life of patients, lost hours of work, and the burden to the healthcare system. You know, so it is really an important issue that we need to to talk about more, probably. And that's that's actually a great point. That it's much as I would argue uh, diseases like IBD were 15 years ago. It is sort of a silent or invisible uh, burden because. Nobody likes to talk about diarrhea, yeah. until, except this group. <laughs> we love talking about diarrhea. <laughs> and and by really the way, I, I I have to ask. So that was that was possibly the best, most polished response to the "Why should people go read your paper?" We've had on this podcast. <laughs> did, did you guys collude in advance and write a script? Because that was amazing. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I already read the review and I want to run out and read it again right now. <laughs> I'm just the dean. I can pontificate on it. <laughs> it, it comes with the office, huh? <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I, I do want to, to sort of launch again off of something you said, though, Kim. There, there really is a lot still to be learned in this area. It's much like many other topics in GI, including stem cells that we talked about in IBD and uh, the, the, you know, the function of the mucus. Every, every single thing we've talked about in this podcast, it, it feels as though we're still in, in the infancy of understanding it. Where do you think that, you know, in the next five to 10 years, where do you predict the, the your, your part of the field is going to go? Where, what's, what's the next big thing in this area? I think we still have a lot to learn about how the iron transporting cells of either the small or large intestine do this complete 180 and, you know, start off with a secretory phenotype and all of a sudden presumably shut all that off and then start, start expressing a whole bunch of different transporters. And it's presumably not an all or none type of thing. I, Mark Donowitz had a nice paper a few years ago at CMGH where using more or less mature organoids, they, they showed that there was this varied phenotype is along the length of the cryptvillus axis, but we still don't understand really how that happens and why it's organized that way. Um, I think the other thing is that the, the discovery of small molecules of in inhibitors of ion transporters and particularly chloride channels holds a lot of promise for the treatment of diarrhea. Um, as yet, they're not in clinical utility, but they obviously would be 
very promising as therapeutic agents. And then conversely, activators of chloride channels have obviously revolutionized the treatment of cystic fibrosis. Right, fantastic. Stephen, any, anything you want to add to that? Or has, uh, has, has Dean Barrett covered it all? Is she... <laughs> <laughs> As always, she's covered most of it. But um, I think, I think when, when we're looking ahead to where this field is, is going to evolve, I think it's, it's got to involve the microbiome, of course, you know, and we're only just beginning to learn how the bugs down in the gut are interacting with epithelial cells. And we really don't know very much about what those bugs are doing to uh, transport pathways and how they're controlling fluid secretion and the metabolites that they make, mm -hmm. you know, and whether they're endogenous metabolites or from the diet um, and how they're all interacting with this system to control um, fluid movement in the gut in, in conditions of health and disease. And I think when we look forward, we can hopefully find out about more about how those mechanisms work and how we could potentially use probiotics or prebiotics to treat these diseases. I can't believe you're not saying something about bile acids, Dr. I, I know, I was waiting well, for I, it. <laughs> well, it was hidden in that sentence there. When I said bacterial metabolites, I was talking about bile acids, of course. Mm -hmm. The most important molecules that there are in the whole world. Right, something something about bare gallbladders, right? Is that the, isn't that the the urso de, deoxy yeah. blah blah blah? Yeah, urso deoxycholic acid, the panacea for all ills. You're gonna need another podcast for that one, Mark. <laughs> we'll, we'll 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 get it scheduled. All right, great. That that's fantastic. I I just really enjoy how the ion transport field and its connection to the just the raw basic physiology the gut continues to be so exciting for so many years um anyway so that's a lot of great science let's talk about the two of you a little bit and your careers in in physiology because one of the points of this podcast is to sort of connect the listeners who are possibly junior investigators uh who, who know how to work their podcast app on their phone you know, connect them with the authors and sort of to build the physiology community a, a little more. Kim, can you talk a little bit about how you got into a career in science? You know, you've had a fantastic and uh, career that is still going and building. You know, you've just moved to, to Davis to be uh, what a college friend of mine would refer to as a grand high muckety muck, uh, which, you know, fantastic. And they've made it great hire there but you know you've done a lot tell how did you get into this in the first place and what drew you to the gut well i started out from my graduate work studying mast cells so my future at that time was really directed towards allergic diseases and i got into the gut because i i perceived at the time that most people who were in the mast cell field were working on asthma and working in the lung and I thought that was going to be very crowded and overly competitive. So for my postdoctoral work, I decided to go to a lab that was interested in the role of mast cells in the gut. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, what the, I did. The, I, the lung, after all, being just a complicated outgrowth of the gut. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, just an outpouching of the gut. So um, <laughs> I might as well go to the real truth in the, in the gut. And... From there, I moved to UC San Diego and was recruited by the late Kida Sindam Sathaphorn to uh, 
initially study the interaction between mast cells and epithelial cells. And when I went to San Diego, I knew nothing about iron transport or the epithelium or any of that. But I really got hooked right away because uh, very unlike the work that I had done up until that point, which was sort of classic, you know, grind it and store the supernatants and measure something two weeks later. It, it was the immediacy of doing Ussing mm -hmm. chamber experiments and the fact that you knew right away if you had something and that excitement has never left me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. And what did you always know you wanted to be in biomedical science or? I knew from an early age I wanted to be a scientist, but I thought I was going to be a chemist. Ah, and okay. I begged my parents mercilessly until they bought me a chemistry set. I worked my way through all of the experiments in numerical order because I'm kind of an anal person. And then I went to uh, university to major in medicinal chemistry because mm -hmm. I saw my future making compounds in the pharmaceutical industry. The only fly in the ointment there was that I was really crappy as a synthetic organic chemist. <laughs> and uh, in fact, so there's a bit um, of a roadblock. <laughs> yes. One of my first syntheses in, in the lab um, as an undergraduate was like a week long process. And I got to the end and I had my product in an ether solution and I dropped the whole thing in the fume hood. And, and of course it was an ether. Oh, it, no. it just evaporated in moments. Oh. So that was it. That was, that was, and I thought this is not for me. Right. Right. So fortunately I found uh, right. biology instead. Chemistry's loss is biology's gain. I, I love the story about working through the chemistry set in numerical order. That, <laughs> I, I knew you'd like that book. <laughs> <laughs> you're not the only one on this podcast that did it that way. Let me put it that way. <laughs> well, you and I have often had conversations about <laughs> our orderly natures. Well, in our household, we had a chemistry set too, and we didn't go through numerical order. We just went straight to making distinct bombs. <laughs> Again, no one is surprised. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and when the distinct bomb was made, the rest of it got thrown out. <laughs> So, so what, what what got you interested in science as a career, Stephen? Um, I think, well, I think it started for me back in high school. I went to a Christian Brothers school in near Dublin city centre, and I didn't really love school, to be honest with you. And there was only one subject that I really enjoyed, and that was biology. You know, we had a great teacher, Mr. Duan. He looked a little bit like Ian Anderson from Jeff, Jethro Tull. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> He was really cool, you know, and he just, he just had a way of interacting with, with the classroom that the other teachers didn't have, you know, and I don't know if it was that that sparked my interest in, in biology. But for me, when, you know, when I left school, it was a no-brainer for me that I just wanted to go on to college and study biology. So, so I was lucky enough to be able to do that at University College Dublin. I managed to get through all the way to fourth year. And then when I there was a little bit of fate involved in it as well, you know, how I got into GI yeah, I got into the GI world because I actually applied to do a PhD in cardiovascular physiology and I really wanted to do it and I was really hoping to get it and I can remember sitting by the phone one day waiting for the PI to call me up and, and let me know if I got the position and he did call me up and he said no I didn't. you're not getting the position he's going to give it to somebody else <laughs> so I had to go with my oh. second choice <laughs> and that was um, with a GI lab in a GI lab working with um, Professor Alan Baird. And I think it was 
that time in, in that lab, you know, working on the PhD that I really kind of developed my love for the GI uh, community and the GI physiology. And he was a, he was a great teacher. He's a hard teacher. Um, he really taught us how to be rigorous and how to question things, but he really sparked our curiosity too. And so as I was coming then towards the end of my PhD, I was wondering what I was going to do with my life. You know, I was still curious about doing research. And at that time, I was, as I was writing up my thesis, I was reading a lot of papers coming from this researcher at University College in San Diego, all about T84 cells and the molecular pathways that are involved in controlling chloride secretion. So I took a shot and um, I sent her a letter asking, you know, is there any chance of coming over to do a postdoc? And, and, and we met th- up. This time the answer was yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we met up at the, at the AGA, the next AGA, in New Orleans and we had a great chat and um, it was all history from there. Came over to work in Kim's lab in San Diego, came for three years, ended up staying for 10 years. It was just, it was just a great experience. Learned a lot and um, met my future wife there. <laughs> and then, you know, after 10 years, we, took, we decided it was probably time to move back to Europe. Um, and was lucky enough to be able to get funding from Science Foundation Ireland to come back and establish my own lab here at the College of Surgeons, and then, as you say, the rest is history, I guess. Yep, yep. It's it's amazing how this field pulls people in and never lets them go. It's it's <laughs> terrific. Which I think you can never leave. Right, right. Which I think actually is a testament to the community uh, of researchers and also to the mentoring in the fields. You know, we have a classic example here, right? That uh, that you got into this field largely sort of just out of interest in having read Kim's papers. And then you got such terrific, both scientific and career mentoring with her that you, you never, you, you, you never left. You sort of differentiated yeah. into your own com- compartment as it were. Uh, and, uh, but kept, kept doing the thing. I think it's a, a very special thing in the GI field. Maybe, maybe other fields have it, but it, it, uh, it, it really feels like something special that we've got in GI and liver. No, I think you're right. We do have a, we're, we're very lucky to have a really collegial mm-hmm. community um, with people who care a lot about the young people that are coming up and we really want to see them do well, you know, so I think that's a great thing. Yeah. I, I think if you, if you spend your life thinking about poop, you can't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably true. Probably true. Okay, Kim Barrett, you're in Sacramento is where the medical school for Davis is. You're up there on a Friday night. Where, where do you go? What's the, what's the thing to do in, in Sacramento on a Friday night? Well, on a Friday night, you can usually find us with a pizza watching Netflix, but on a Saturday night. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, one little known thing about Sacramento is it, it, it it sees itself as the farm to fork capital of America. Oh, no kidding. Uh, we oh. are completely surrounded by very, very rich and productive agricultural land. There's huge amounts of rice growing here and all kinds of different produce. It, it's And so the restaurants really reflect that. So there are some fabulous restaurants here across all sorts of different types of genre and uh, we're particularly fond of one that's literally uh, a block and a half from our house called the Red Rabbit, which also has one of the best uh, bars that I've ever 
uh, gone to. Great bartenders, fantastic cocktails, mm. and just a really good buzzy scene. Hmm. That's fantastic. St- Stephen, uh, shall we meet there in what, what do you say, 48 hours? Can you be on a plane? <laughs> Sounds pretty good. She Kim sold that always, very well. Um, Kim always has an, 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 an exceptional taste in bars and restaurants, I have to say. So, in, 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 over, and then on the other side of the pond there, Stephen, Dublin, Saturday yeah. night, what, you know, if a student comes to visit, where should they go? Ooh. Um, well, there's a lot to do, I think, around Dublin, you know, and I think if you come to visit, first of all, you got to pack your umbrella, make sure you bring your umbrella. Secondly, bring a good few dollars because it's not cheap around Dublin City. And then thirdly, you know, bring your walking shoes and um, just, just walk around the city and see what you find. You know, there's so many different nice bars and restaurants with music. Um, and, and entertainment going on. There's a lot of places to see, a lot of history and culture around Dublin City, I think that you can participate in. But I think if you do come to visit, you got to also get outside Dublin City and go and see the countryside because that's, you know, we have some stunning countryside here in Ireland, especially over on the West Coast. But, you know, even my, Kim might be able to answer that question a little bit better than me because she came here as a, a visitor for a prolonged period during her sabbatical, here for a year. and. I guess you would have gotten the whole experience, Kim. Well, I definitely recommend you go on the walking tour with Stephen <laughs> of, of how the uh, uh, the evil British were vanquished uh, with the bullet holes and, and so forth. Uh, he also does a great job in taking people around Kilmainham Jail, uh, where some of the rebels were executed and making you feel guilty <laughs> in the pouring rain. Um, but I strongly recommend the International Bar as a place to have a great pint of Guinness and uh, too many gin and tonics. Uh, and you can't go wrong in the pubs in Dublin, really. There you go. We're, we're, we're managing to get quite a travelogue built up in this uh, podcast series, but I think we, we this might be the, the best episode ever for it. We're getting amazing recommendations. All right, and then I think I know the answer to this, but the Ussing Chamber has just melted down, the experiment died, everything is a mess. What's your consolation dinner? What um, What do you think the answer might be, Mark? Uh, I, I'm... I choose not to bias the answer. <laughs> I would say probably a cold pint of Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> that was the predicted answer. Or more than one of them. <laughs> and life is always made a little better by a gin and tonic. Ah, okay. Very good. Jamie, I, do you have questions? I, I've been monopolizing the discussion here with them, but you always have some really good questions for them. I have, uh, yeah, I have a question. Um, how did you guys feel about joining the Got Guts podcast series? I was excited. Yeah, I think this is the highlight of my career so far. <laughs> no, it's been really nice. Now, now I, just in case you, just in case you weren't laying it on too thick earlier with the travelogue, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Now you've really <laughs> doubled down. That's the Irish show, <clears throat> gift of the gab. Yeah, yeah. It was fantastic. Like, I mean, it's fantastic because. You know, when you were talking about how you got onto this path, like early, mm-hmm. early on in your career, you know, and then somebody had said to me when I was 15 years old doing biology in Mr. Dwan's class that one day I'd be on the AJP podcast with the esteemed 
editor of um, AJPGI and the ex-esteemed editor of the Journal of Physiology talking about diarrhea, of all things, like I always said, no, I don't think, I don't think that's true. <laughs> but yet here we are. You might have giggled a little bit at the diarrhea you know, mm, at, have, at, yeah. at that, when you were 15. But, and, and, that, and that's actually a good entree to my sort of my last question for you all. Um, you know, what, what advice would you give someone just starting out today in, who's you know, getting into biomedical science and is interested in the GI field? What's your best piece of advice? Um, so I, there was actually somebody who asked that very question, not necessarily GI specific on Twitter just this week. And my strongest piece of advice is that you get to define what success looks like for yourself. And so never let somebody else tell you what success looks like. Um, just go out and do what you want to do. I wish someone had told me that 30 years ago. Me too. I'd probably Maybe still be doing care. the same thing, but... <laughs> But but I would have I would have been quicker about it I think, Stephen. Um, I think it would be to to enjoy it, you know. I think often people get a little bit too wrapped up in the in the stress of having to get things done and then ha having to do this and to do that and they forget to actually enjoy the experience as they're having it. You know, so it's a it's a it's a long journey through the PhD and postdoc years into PI, but it's a great. It's a great road to take and it's full of really wonderful opportunities and you have to try and make sure that you enjoy them along the way. I agree. Well, on that profound note, <laughs> <laughs> you, you've been fantastic guests. Thank you for joining us here. And I, I very much appreciate your time. I know you're both super busy, but this has been great. And you've been so mesmerizing that my dog even just you know sort of took a nap instead of barking the whole time so that's great so thank you so much for spending part of your morning or early evening with us and look forward to seeing the seeing the next paper from each of you so much mark and jamie and great to see you outstanding okay thank see you, you. nice to meet you jamie nice to meet bye. you too bye, -bye. bye. Thank you for listening. This podcast was brought to you by the American Journal of Physiology, Gastrointestinal, and Liver Physiology, and produced by me, Jamie Jones. If you would like to hear our latest episodes, please visit the AJP GI and Liver Physiology's homepage.